0: Five, four, three, two, one. Lift
1: off the Falcon 9. Falcon 9 is Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Cube podcast. This episode is brought to you in part by Penguin Random House Canada. From the record-breaking astronaut and author of Endurance, Commander Scott Kelly, comes a new book. Infinite Wonder is a breathtaking collection of photos documenting Kelly's journey on the International Space Station, the vastness of space, and the unparalleled beauty of our own home planet. It includes snapshots of the astronaut's life and work on the International Space Station, from spacewalks to selfies, hurricanes, Wrinkled Mountains, New York City shining like a galaxy. It's on sale now. And this episode is also brought to you by the Don't Let Go Canada Coalition. For 60 years, Canada has been a space leader. We help build the International Space Station and land astronauts on the moon. Back on Earth, we leverage our space capabilities every day to push boundaries in medicine, communications, and environmental monitoring. The clear vision and commitment of previous governments helped drive this forward, but now our country faces a decision point, and we need to act. Please visit DontLetGoCanada.ca and join the campaign to help us keep innovation, jobs, and our best and brightest in Canada. The universe needs more Canada. Don't let go, Canada. Today's podcast is a panel discussion from the recent Canadian Global Affairs Institute ready for launch, preparing Canada for a future in space conference held in Ottawa. Officially, the panel was called the Canadian Space Industry Leaders, but I'm calling it the Power Panel, as it featured David O'Connor of Magellan Aerospace, Mike Greenlee of MDA, Marina Messissian of Honeywell, and Dan Goldberg of Telesat. Indeed, a power panel representative of Canada's largest space companies. Moderated by Charity Whedon, the panelists discussed the current state of the Canadian space program, what they think should be included in the next space strategy, and what they think of government support. Magellan's David O'Connor went as far as saying, our government has failed the country with the way it's handled the space program. Listen in.
2: Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm sorry I missed the Minister of Transport's uh, remarks this morning, but I'm grateful that uh, transport was nice and smooth today via car and airplane. Uh, Today, on this Canadian satellite industry panel, we have four distinguished guests with us. First, we have Dan Goldberg, President and CEO of Telesat since 2006. LSAT, being of course the satellite operator of around 17 geostationary uh, orbiting satellites, and soon hundreds others in lower Earth orbit, delivering uh, connectivity around the globe. Uh, Dan began his career as a lawyer and counsel in Washington, D.C., and was previously uh, CEO of New Skies as well. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. I see we're in a different order here. That's fine. Uh, Marissa Misesian is the Senior Director of Space Payloads at Honeywell Aerospace, and she's been with Honeywell and COMDA before then uh, for over 25 years. She started as a RF engineer, and as we all know, Honeywell uh, components and electronics are in pretty much every satellite today. Next we have... Mike Greenlee, group president of McDonald's-Ettweiler Associates, um, a Maxar company since January 2018. He's previously been sector president of L3 Westcam, uh, worked for GM and uh, General Dynamics Canada. He's also the former chairman of CADSEA. And you've probably seen him uh, offer recently the words, don't let go Canada. So I'd like to hear more about that. And finally, uh, last but definitely not least, is Dave O'Connor from Magellan Aerospace. Uh, Dave is the manager of defense and space
1: products.
2: (coughs) He's held positions in engineering, business development, and operations at Magellan since 1985. Uh, He's he's essentially a central figure for the uh, Manitoba aerospace community industry. And we all know uh, Magellan, um, part of the heritage of Canada's space program with the Black Brandt rocket since 1962. So I will find my chair and we'll get going with our first question. So I wanted to start off with a pretty profound question that I hoped everyone here would have an answer to and provide some light. Um, what is the Canadian space industry doing to position itself in this new space era? Maybe we'll start with you, Dan.
3: Um, Charity, thanks for hosting our panel. I think I took your chair, sorry (laughs) about that. Um, Threw me off. So maybe I'll uh, just take a step back. So our companies are a little bit different. We're we're a communications service provider. We're providing communication services all over the world, headquartered in Canada, uh, do a lot of business in Canada. But we're distributing video content and uh, IP traffic and basic voice services all over the globe. We use satellites to do that. Uh, we work with uh, other folks up here to build our satellites. So, so when we think about, you know, a new space era, we don't start by thinking about what's happening in space, we start kind of at the pointy end of the spear, asking ourselves, what's going on with our customers, and how are their requirements changing? Uh, And there, I would say, they're changing enormously right now. There's just massive uh, technological innovation disruption in terms of what our customers are requiring. So today about half of our revenue is um, generated by providing direct-to-home satellite services in Canada. In the U.S. and elsewhere around the world, the other half is, yeah, providing IP traffic and uh, services to governments and. Uh, folks in the resource market, uh, airplanes, ships, all you know requiring broadband connectivity. And what's going on in our customers markets is that uh, everyone's moving to broadband and everyone's moving to IP. And so when we look at our direct-to-home satellite customers, for instance, their markets are getting transformed by companies like Netflix and the like. And so when we engage with them, uh, what they're all wanting, whether they're broadcasters or ISPs or mobile network operators or government customers, they're wanting uh, big, fast, cheap, high-performing, secure, resilient, ubiquitous broadband connectivity. That's what they want, and so. Uh, And I'll I'll sum up, uh, because uh, everyone is probably participating in this trend, Uh, when when we look at what they want and we look at the current architecture of satellites that we have, uh, it's not really well-suited to where our customers' market has evolved to and where it's evolving to. So we are uh, to participate uh, in the new era. For me, it's a new era in communication services. We've completely reimagined uh, what kind of architecture we need in space to effectively serve that customer base. And what we've concluded is that we've got to get our satellites down from about 36,000 kilometers above the Earth, uh, which is a very high latency service. One of the panelists was talking about how long it takes to get uh, a service to Mars and back. Well, to go 36,000 kilometers and back is about uh, half a second. Doesn't sound like a lot, but for IP connectivity, if you know how uh, the internet works, it's kind of back and forth handshakes, and you do that over and over again. It's too much latency. And so what we're doing at Telesat is we have designed a very innovative, very state-of-the-art, global low-Earth orbit satellite constellation, and that's what uh, we're executing on. And I'll say more about that later, maybe.
2: Thanks, Dan. Want me to go a bit? Yes, please.
0: All right, so um, so for us, in terms of the, uh, I guess the new space era, we would view the new space era as having two components to it. One would be the commercialization of low-Earth orbit, so, for the last 50 years, uh, governments um, have led um, initiatives into low Earth orbit. The first satellites that we're talking about by Mark Garneau, the um, activities to create the International Space Station, and the like. And then a lot of the conversations today have mentioned the whole commercialization thread a lot. Uh, we see that every day today. Um, so our activities are transitioning from business to government type of work to business to business work to be able to sell the next generation of communications payloads on satellites to someone like. Dan and tell us he's trying to do his applications in low earth orbit or the next generation of robotics to somebody who's building an on-orbit servicer to service satellites um, in Leo or Geo or companies that have a, a space mining or space manufacturing plan of some types and they're looking for sensors and robotics for what they're doing so we're seeing a tremendous uptick in business to business conversations as that sort of low earth orbit world becomes much more commercialized and are continuously looking for the innovation opportunities in Canada to be able to advance the next generation of solutions for those business-to-business transactions um, and opportunities to um, get new technologies into orbit, get them to have heritage so that they can be proven technologies to sell in that emerging market which is absolutely growing for us. If you look at the number of RFPs we're responding to to companies around the world. The second area of the new space era would be the deep space conversations that people are having, which is traditionally government led now to be able to go and do the next generation of um, significant exploration missions to the moon or to Mars. Um, And for us in Canada, we would look for the continued opportunity to be part of those like we have for 50 years and for our government to engage in those so that we can then participate in those as we move into the future. So those are the two elements for
4: us. Okay, Marina, back to you. Yeah, hopefully you can hear me now. Yep. Oh, I can hear myself. Yeah. Um, so as I as I started saying, I think one of the things we looked at is how did we get here, um, and there's like three or four different things as we migrate from big space to to um, to new space, um, and and we have to start at, at just demand, just the the over uh, the need for c- uh, continuous connectivity uh, with uh, the Internet of Things and and uh, uh, 5G and so forth. So I think one of the stats I heard is that there should be 50 50 billion connected devices by 2025 and so so I think that's one of the primary drivers for new space the other thing I think is is happened is there's all of a sudden a more affordable um, uh, access to space as as companies like SpaceX and uh, uh, Blue Origin and so forth they start to offer up more commercial opportunities for for space launches the third thing I would say is, is very much um, this incredible drive in innovation. Uh, innovation in technology has changed so quickly over the last five, five years um, that it's allowed things to really, really get smaller. Uh, the, the, the capability of these small devices are, are just incredible and that allows us to do some very, very interesting things uh, so that we can look at this new emerging market with, with this and, and cost, f- um, um, cost drivers in, in mind. So in terms of what we're doing at Honeywell, while we continue to invest in our next generation of products, we're also looking at what technology can we use to to make sure that we fill the need of this this emerging market. Um, Again, as as Dan said earlier, it's all about speed and and the amount of data that we need to move around. So optical communication, whether it be from satellite to satellite, satellite to ground, deep space, is a huge investment area for us. The second area we're looking at is we're partnering with uh, we're changing out our supply base we're partnering with SMEs universities and um, we're looking at ways to make even science more affordable so that once we get our science um, uh, program well and kicking again that w- we have opportunities to to participate there with without uh, putting out too much money
5: is my mic on good,
1: yeah.
5: good. Um. Well, thanks for having me out uh, for the panel today. So uh, something just reminded me when we were talking that I, I actually have my own new space experience. I've been with the company for air industry for 35 years. And when I was first getting into it, I I got involved in a, in, in development of a Canadian launch vehicle. It was our second attempt as a company. Mac, you might remember Orbital Express. So. Uh, <laughs> Later, a university professor uh, asked our company for all the files on this thing and he wrote a business case. You can actually download it off the Western University website. Two main characters in it are myself, a guy named Peter Diamandis at SpaceX. Uh, and I looked terrible in this thing. It did, went for five years and, and I learned a lot of lessons and he didn't do me any favors the way he wrote it. But I think the one thing I did learn from it, certainly in the rocket business, a couple of things. One of them, rocket science, kind of complicated. The other is that you need an anchor customer that's willing to buy a bunch of them, right? i will come back to that. Um, I did want to comment on uh, government space program before I talk about commercial because I think they're connected, or they are connected. Um, you know, I guess to be blunt about it, our government has failed the country with the way that it's handled the space program. Heard Max say we had a last long-term space plan was in the 90s. You know I've participated in many many uh, papers, uh, consultations. Uh, In 2011 we had the uh, Emerson report started. Took a year for that. Got some good advice. Wasn't really followed. Then we have a space advisory board. We have policy development, we have framework development, all these things. You know, we just need a real space program in Canada uh, for for a national program. We need a real one with real projects, real budget, and real schedule. And that's way overdue right now. And if you talk to anyone in industry like the rest of my panel, this panel, I'm sure they'll agree with me. Now, when it comes to uh, commercial programs, and I uh, don't want to mislead you that I'm in favor of commercial programs. Magellan is primarily outside of our space, my space division, involved in, in, in commercial aviation. And we would like space to be more like that. And one of the great things about uh, private sector development in space is that it would be more predictable. It would give us stability, it would provide industry with something that they could invest in, uh, knowing what is going to happen in the future because the companies like Telesat are involved and they make the launch, you know that okay here's something we can get on board with. Um, I'll just mention also that a lot of these programs are not entirely commercial. So if you look, take the example of, of Elon Musk, well okay Uh, He's a brilliant space entrepreneur, but, you know, uh, he did get a fairly large multi-year launch contract at the start. He's taking advantage of several billion dollars' worth of infrastructure at Vandenberg Air Force Base to run his program. So you'll find that when you look at the main players, they usually have the benefit of fairly substantial work from their national space programs that give them a balance of some commercial work and some... And some uh, national and some contracted work, which may not be true of all future uh, space ventures, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, it needs to be true of Canadian space ventures. And I certainly want to. Uh, uh, recognize uh, Telesat's Leo Advantage program. It's a, it's a fantastic program. It's an opportunity for Canadian leadership, and we would like to see it supported by government. And we, uh, our, our, our own company, is very interested in participating in it, and we're working hard to do that.
2: Thank you. So I'd like to ask that question, but in a different uh, perspective. Uh, it's true that uh, space and satellite across you know, the globe is growing those those markets. But how do you, it is a global affair after all? How are you positioning yourself to be a strong player in the global market? Um, any thoughts? Maybe Dan, you'd like to take that one.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll kick off maybe. Um I think we we're, we're fortunate that we're sort of there today. We're the fourth largest satellite operator in the world, and you know we've got uh, sufficient scale at this point. You know, in Canadian dollars, we're generating almost a billion dollars a year uh, top line, and we run our business very efficiently. So we're generating uh, a significant amount of cash flow. That at the end of the day, we're going to take and pour back into our business, and frankly, uh, try to cannibalize our business uh, before somebody else comes along and cannibalizes it. And uh, you know, we're we're hoping that that, that we're not too late. Uh, and, and I don't think we are too late. Um, we're 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 out in front on this. It's not like anybody in this room didn't see the uh, demand for broadband capacity coming. Um, I think if Telesat was uh, quick off the mark relative to some of our global competitors in the industry is, um, I think we connected the dots a little bit faster in terms of what that would mean for our Uh, traditional business which is our our here and now business so we went out very early uh, working through the government of Canada to get uh, priority rights to global spectrum which you need for a a wireless service. Um, We are blessed with uh, an embarrassment of riches from a Uh, an engineering perspective tell us that as world-class engineers that are very, very innovative and we have a long culture of innovation that we could draw on. So for the past four years we've been fairly quietly uh, designing our constellation, hiring new people to support us, working with other great companies to uh, make sure that the uh, constellation that we're bringing is, is, is truly going to be disruptive and innovative and give us, I hope, a sustainable competitive advantage in the market. So so that, that's what Telesat's up to. And, and I would say, um, we're a Canadian company. Our roots are uh, from Canada. Mac, I think, made reference to the Telesat Canada Act from 1969. We'll celebrate our 50th uh, anniversary next year. Uh, and And we care about Canada. And our Leo constellation, Uh, will change uh, broadband delivery all over the world. But it'll change it right here in Canada, and frankly it'll change it here in Canada first because I think the first satellites that we launch will be in a polar orbit. So we'll be able to come, you know, live first in Canada. We will definitively solve the rural broadband problem in Canada probably before we solve it. in, in other parts of the world that need it as well. Um, and in addition to you know being able to do that uh, here in Canada, um, we can do it with a lot of Canadian companies. There's a great Canadian supply chain that is reasonably well positioned to work with us uh, and um, uh, put Canada, I'd say, back in a leadership position from a space perspective. Um, The last thing I'd say is while we're a proud Canadian company, we're a global company. We are in a fiercely competitive global market. Our competitors are European companies, American companies, Russian companies, Chinese companies. While we'd love to work with our uh, Canadian uh, brethren and sisters, um, at the end of the day, We've got to make sure that we're competitive, uh, and so uh, as, as uh, uh, my uh, colleagues up here can tell you, my, my peers up here can tell you, we're pushing them hard uh, to be competitive. Uh, because if we're not competitive, uh, they're not going to be competitive either.
2: Any other thoughts on the global compet- competition on uh, satellite maybe parts or servicing? Mike, there's other entities out there that are looking to do on-orbit servicing. Um, what, how is Maxar and MDA specifically positioned to um, be a competitor in that new market?
0: Yes, we're, we're definitely engaging in all that. We're, you know, we would have uh, you know space-related systems, satellite systems in about 20 countries or so right now. The people on orbit servicing, the projects around the world. I think we're engaged with uh, probably five to seven at the moment um, in conversations with them. So people uh, recognize the um, decades of experience um, that we have in these areas, especially in sensors and robotics. Um, and they 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 come and ask for you know quotations and the like. We have to adapt our business practices to transition from historical large institutional government projects to much more agile um, streamlined cost-effective repeatable products in the commercial sector to be able to do that and we're going through that change um, which is absolutely required and then to the the point made earlier about the need for any industry developing new technologies to collaborate with its with its government um, we continue to look for that so now that we have you know an international market where there are you know 72 countries now that have a space agency and 50 countries with their own satellite capabilities. Um, you know, other nations are starting to kind of get some momentum and get some juice under them. And so, where we see countries that what I call have space ambitions and budgets, um, you know, we're, we're tending to start to show up more. So, so MDA, which is you know the same as Dan, 50 years in Canada, started 1969 in the space sector. But next, a lot of birthday parties next year. Mm-hmm. We should like save money and combine them all into a space birthday idea, party. Mike. Um, and uh, but you know the, the same thing. We're we're Canadian through and through. But we're absolutely going to start, you'll, you'll see us, you know, it started recently in the UK. You know, they, they've clearly said where they want to be by 2030 in the top 10% of the countries from a space market perspective. Um, you know, we've kind of doubled in size over there in the last year and continue to engage with the potential programs that are coming there and they're starting to talk to other countries that are leaning forward with space ambitions and budgets that are organized and we can respond to. So so we'll get you know more, much more competitive uh, in the commercial market from pressure from Dan and others, um, and both satellite systems, sensors and robotics and ground systems around the world as we deliver from Canada to all those players and then we will start to show up as necessary in other countries where the space agencies have organized ambitions and budgets to be able to partner and do programs and the like Um, while we continue to work hard in Canada to make sure that we have a space strategy and budgets to play with here.
2: I was reading a recent AIAC uh, space report from 2016, uh, stated an aspiration by the Canadian space industry um, to have revenues by over $8 billion over the next 10 years. And right now we sit at $5.5 billion. Um, To have an employment um, uh, supporting uh, space jobs over 30,000 people, we sit at 21,000. Are we on this trajectory to improving and uh, increasing uh, Canadian space industry revenues and the pipeline of, of um, employees? Perhaps Dave, you'd like to look at that one.
5: Okay. So um, those are big numbers compared to my space team, which is uh, you know, less than 100. Uh, so I can't really comment on overall industry, but I can tell you that there's certainly enough opportunity uh, outside of Canada for our company to grow at a greater rate than the numbers talked about for the industry. So I would
0: say that you know, we're very optimistic about the opportunities that we see. Like for, for me to see that kind of growth, um, you need a couple of things in that time. So Canada would need flagship programs. Flagship programs can come in two flavors. Dan runs a flagship program on the commercial sector, um, in, a, in a sector for, like I said, rural broadband communications worldwide. You know, multi-billion dollar size program that can engage the supply chain in Canada, as you mentioned. That's key to be able to drive that kind of growth. In addition to government flagship programs, like the conversations around Lunar Gateway uh, or some of these other ones, then Canada would have to re-step up and engage in those, like they did in the past to be able to drive that next layer of advancement and growth. And then, probably, some kind of a pool in the country, you know, managed by the space agencies or others for, you know, small to medium missions across a spectrum whereby the industrial base that we have can in, engage in innovation and space proven uh, missions to be able to advance their technology base so they can export around the world. As that um, you know notional 500 millions declined to 250 million that was discussed this morning um, in terms of the budget in the country that sort of engine to drive uh, that partnership that was being discussed is probably fallen off a bit so reinvigoration of supporting large commercial missions like 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 Teleside leo or large government missions like uh, like gateway in addition to some sort of surge in you know hmm. multidisciplinary small mission engine to be able to have all the the small and medium businesses in Canada which is all Always the basis of our economy um, to be able to engage in um, technology proving projects in space to get the heritage that they need to then you know take on the global market those those two dynamics are needed for that that kind of numbers of growth to occur so are we on that trajectory right now not yet um, some of it is clearly Dan's moving out but um, you know we need to support for all that uh, to be able to, to make it work.
4: Marina, do you have yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll, I'll add a little bit to that. I mean, Comdev and, and Honeywell now, we've always been export-driven. I mean, we took very small seed money in terms of technology development that uh, we received through the through the uh, Canadian government in the course of five years. This is back about uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago. And we turned that uh, $20 million over five years into a, a billion dollar export business on our communication side. In order for us to be able to continue that, we do need some support from government. But maybe a little different from what, what Mike was saying, this, for me, it's about sustainability and growth. First, you have to be able to sustain the sector. You have to be able to build on that sector. So my fear of, of any major um, uh, Crown program is it be at the expense of something else. And and we, we just can't allow that to happen. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves in the same conversation you know, five, ten years from now to say what happened. So I think it's, it's really important. And while we have those big ambitions, and we should, uh, we certainly have the technology and the and the brainpower in Canada to be able to sustain that. But we need we need some sort of sustainable plan from government in partnership with industry to be able to continue that growth. Otherwise, like I said, we're going to find ourselves in the same in the same conversation um, five, ten years from now.
3: Can I offer, Charity, some thoughts from Telesat's perspective on this? Uh, the trajectory right now, I'll just speak about our own business. Um, we, we were growing very rapidly for, I don't know, you know, some some fairly long period of time. Telesat's been in business for 50 years, so there have been highs and lows. Uh, over the last four years, given what's going on in our market, our revenues have been coming down. Um, we're, we're trying to reinvent our business, not because we're some masochists that like trying to reinvent your You only reinvent your business to the extent that you have to. We have to reinvent our business right now. If we don't, um, the, the downward trajectory is going to accelerate. Uh, It'll be a bad day for Telesat, it'll be a bad day for everybody else on this panel because they're just a little bit further down the, the food chain from, from where we are. Um, having said that, uh, we're super bullish about what the future looks like. Uh, there's a massive market that we're going after. We have a really good plan to attack it. Um, And technology uh, is working for us both in terms of the demand side, just all these technological trends that are driving bandwidth consumption, and tell us that's in the business of delivering bandwidth. Um, And then all these good uh, technological developments on the supply side, which is where these guys need to position themselves in order to have the long-term sustainable business that Marina was talking about. And when I kind of look to my left and think about the technology that we need to do what we're doing Um, these guys don't launch satellites um, but that uh, the new launch vehicles the cost to launch a kilogram uh, of mass to low earth orbit is about in in the next three years is going to be about a third of what it is today that's transformative for our business Uh, optical inter-satellite links linking all of our satellites together that's Honeywell they've got dynamite technology for this that that they uh, I think your center of excellence for that is Cambridge um, if they position themselves well for that market their future should be bright we'll be buying we'll be buying more more uh, optical links than anybody's bought in the history of the universe Um, and we're going to do it but so will SpaceX so will our competitors Um, digital processors phased array technology so these are antennas phased array antennas that will be on board the spacecraft but that will also be people 's homes and on airplanes and ships and cars uh, that will you, you need to track the satellites MDA is an absolute leader in this kind of technology they do it in Montreal Magellan has fantastic technology for satellite buses for satellite pl- uh, uh, payloads so Canada's extremely well positioned to do it. We're off to the races with our program. We'd love for these guys to be able to participate in it. Um, But for sure, for a program like this, a multi-billion dollar program, uh, all of us are going to need some level of government support. In the last federal budget, there was $100 million set set aside for LEO, Low Earth Orbit Orbit Satellite Constellations, which is exactly what we're focused on. All of us can benefit from that. As glad as we were to see $100 Canadian million dollars in the budget, it's a drop in the bucket in terms of what the overall cost of a program like this is. but there's more, there's more funds out there there's infrastructure funds. There are subsidies that are available uh, at the federal level and the provincial level for rural broadband connectivity. Those uh, funds exist in Canada. Those funds exist in every country in the world. So we all need to do a good job to work together to invest ourselves. I don't think you should ever show up and ask government to invest unless you're prepared to make at least the amount of investment that government's prepared to make. I'm a big believer in putting your money where your mouth is and nothing telegraphs to the government that there's a good business plan that exists here if you yourself are investing uh, at a level that eclipses anything that government would put in. But I think all of us need to work together to do that and if government works alongside of industry, all Canadians will benefit whether it's by getting broadband connectivity, e-health initiatives, supporting the resource industry, or supporting the jobs that all of us will be funding, um, there's a great opportunity for Canada here. And Charity, yeah, I do think uh, we could hit that uh, trajectory uh, if we all execute very well together. There's a big opportunity out there.
2: Great. Um so one of the things I'm picking up is this Canadian space industry is communicating the innovations that are going on uh, in the industry today. There's an ongoing effort called Don't Let Go Canada uh, that I picked up in the U.S. and am interested in hearing more about it. Uh, Mike, would you be able to say a few words of what this um, effort is and what the impact or the, the outcomes that the industry is looking to get
0: I can talk about it a bit. Um, There was some polling done in Canada earlier in the year. Ipsos was mentioned earlier today. Just trying to recheck in with Canadians about, you know, taking the pulse of, you know, what their support was for space. That was really positive. Actually one of the highest levels ever in Canadian polling history. Um, Canadians are very proud um, of what we've accomplished in space you get up to like 90% level type scores and you know over 80% of Canadians are very supportive of what happens in telecommunications and earth observation and, and space exploration. Um, that was very clear Canadians feel that it drives innovation and that it inspires youth to go into STEM and the like. So there's strong support there in addition to about 85% of Canadians um, express concern if Canada's position in space continues to erode which is kind of where the don't let go thing it came from. So in engaging with government on these topics, you know, it was like they wanted to know, like they wanted to hear from Canadians. You know, what do Canadians feel about our position in space and are Canadians supportive um, of what we do in space? And over 83% of Canadians support government financing space activities, which is a conversation we've been having here, um, and, and what well, would support an increase in funding of space activities. So very, very strong support. What we learned, though, from that EPSOS uh, survey was that there is a bit of a lack of awareness in Canadian of what we have accomplished in space. It was mentioned earlier this morning, I think, by Mark Arnault. He wished Canadians could look up every day and see that infrastructure, and they can't. And, um... But we quickly learned that um, in focus groups that is conducted across the country, that once Canadians are educated, it takes, it's instant, that they're proud of all of our accomplishments, all the first that have come in space-based communications and, and all the things that we've done with uh, space exploration and Earth observation, the astronaut program. Once that's in their heads, they're very proud of it, and they'd be very upset if that went away. So Don't Let Go is really just about that. So right now, over 40 companies in Canada have, you know put their name on that to be able to just promote the notion to Canada that it's been said many times today this is a absolutely critical moment um, Like the next few months, as was said earlier this morning, um, there are key decisions that Canada has to make if it's going to stay in the game in the space sector, some of these large programs that are going on that have been discussed today. And, uh, and so it's really there to drive the campaign, to be able to educate Canadians of what we have accomplished, like we've been doing today, and to ask people to, um, you know, send in their support through their government to make sure that as we enter into uh, the next budget, an election year budget, that there's a lot of votes out there, a lot of big numbers of. Canadians support this and there's a lot of like Canadians would be very concerned if we slipped away from this moment and so that's that's really what the campaign's about is to engage that really positive so far massive amount of uptick on social media like you know just on some days like a thousand new people a day are like logging into this thing and connecting really good conversations by Canadians around the world are engaging in this conversation who feel so a lot of them have been upset that they're in the space industry they've had to leave Canada to go and find jobs and they'd love to see more going on here so they can come back that's really encouraging to see um, and just a really good dialogue that's, that, that's coming out of the conversation. So it uh, it seems to be going pretty well.
2: Great. Um, this is a policy conference, and therefore I'd like to ask, what kind of barriers um, are you discovering with regards to licensing, regulation, policy, legislative issues in the satellite and space industry uh, today? I'll
3: take, it. Oh, I'll take a shot. Um no, for the most part, um, we get good support. Uh, we're a Canadian company. Uh, the majority of our orbital locations come from ICED. I see the Deputy Minister had to had to leave, but for the most part, uh, uh, ICED is the department that we kind of work with day in and day out for our uh, Canadian requirements. And, and, and when I say Canadian requirements, that can mean also Oh, when we're doing business in other parts of the world and we're having issues with market access or withholding tax issues or things like that. And I would say for the most part, we get very good support. Um, Equally, I would say that the regulatory framework that's in place today uh, didn't envision, uh, you know, and it's hard to envision these things, but... But the industry's uh, evolved. It's not set up uh, to support uh, a modern, advanced, uh, hundreds of satellite, uh, low-earth orbit satellite constellation. And so there are licensing rules and uh, all, all sorts of things that maybe made sense and maybe make sense for the business as it exists today, but need to be modernized and updated to try to keep up with, um, uh, where technology is going and, and, and where the market's going. I'd say that's number one. Um, and then beyond that, it's, it's the... Uh, you know, governments tend to not move that quickly. Um, and uh, there's some... Uh, we, we don't do a lot of Canadian government work. The one program that TELOSET has spent what feels like a few lifetimes on, uh, is the what used to be called PolarSat, then became called PCW, is now called uh, Enhanced SATCOM or ESCAPE. This is a program that Canada's been looking at forever, uh, is moving forward in, in just real baby steps right now and is one of these signature programs that needs to uh, pick up speed. It's all about sovereignty. For Canada, it's a requirement that is beyond right. Uh, the international community is wanting this, and 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 it's one where Canada just has to get going, uh, or um, this thing's just going to die on the vine, and and other countries will come along and and, and uh, uh, just just make Canada irrelevant on that. So anyway, so for me, you know. The licensing framework needs to get updated. A government policy kind of writ large needs to get updated to uh, respond to these these new low Earth orbit satellite constellations. And then when the government of Canada does have a real requirement in space, uh, it needs to get on with life and procure. But I think that's probably a common lament in this town uh, when the government procures anything. Um, But it's still no excuse.
2: Other
4: thoughts? Yeah. Well,
3: I'll just
5: mention it's 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 a bit of an old story, but security is something which uh, we've all learned how to manage ITAR and uh, controlled goods, uh, but it makes things more expensive and it makes things slower. And uh, our own controlled goods program in Canada was really overdone, and it has the, we learned the hard way that actually eliminates small companies that do commercial work from even doing work that has Canadian origin. It's really, I don't think, what was intended. So that's something that still needs refinement if we're going to be able to uh, deal with uh, uh, space products that have a secure classification.
1: Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube podcast. If you like this show, please support us on Patreon. The address is patreon.com. Space we really appreciate feedback, and to help us, we ask you consider to write a review on Apple Podcast or Google Play Music, if you're so inclined. If you have any comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca, where you'll find an archive of each episode. If you send me a comment by email, I'll write back to you as soon as I can. On Twitter... You can follow us at Canada in Space, and if you use Facebook, you can find all our articles and links to the podcast on our page, The Space queue If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app.